Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome into another episode of Revolution Recap. I'm coming into you after a two to one Revolution win over Sporting Kansas City at home. I'm Tanner Rabello. Joined by me today is Salmon of the Blazing Musket. Sam, how are you? Doing good, doing good. Obviously, great to uh, come back on Revolution Recap, especially after a win. Revsland is uh, doing quite well at the moment at the top of the East. So, what 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 could you be mad at? Sam, are you in your car right now? I very much am in my car right now. So I want I want everyone to stop the podcast, go to Twitter, follow Sam in right now. Sam's I, dedication. I have to appreciate Sam for coming on the podcast right after the game. He just got out of the locker room. He is sitting in his car. So Sam, thank you for joining the podcast. Nah, I appreciate it. I'm chilling in my car. Got a nice little recline so I could kind of relax as we go into this amazing time. And I'd like to apologize because you'll realize I'm in my car because some people are deciding to yell for no reason in the parking lot. Well, hopefully they're celebrating a win or maybe they're voicing their frustration by the uh, the end of that half, the end of that second half. Uh, it was not great for the revolution. Um, we'll get into it, though. Let's get right into our key takeaways brought to you friends by the Rebellion Supporters Group. Be sure to check them out on Twitter at AnyRebellion and their website at AnyRebellion.org. Sam, what's your key takeaway from this one? I mean, I, I have to say, I believe I might have said it on a previous podcast, but Giacomo Veroni is indeed back. Came back with a bang tonight. Obviously, he was able to get that goal in the Montreal game and you're feeling really good. It was a great overall play by him. But I think the fact that he's still able to score goals, obviously they're kind of a little bit dirty. The first goal, I think, was really the more talented of the two, if you want to call it that, just based on his ability to show some great movement, really weave around the defenders in order to create some space. Ima Boateng serves that ball up, and he's able to get the first goal of the game. But also, too, just being able to be in the right place at the right time to score that second goal, I think is really impressive, and it's great to see your designated player starting to really make an impact and get those goals, especially with how this game ended. That second goal was quite crucial. Uh, So overall, Giacomo Veroni continuing to play well. We'll be interesting to see how this next week goes. You're going up against Hartford, obviously, in the U.S. Open Cup. That will be something to keep an eye on. Maybe we see Giacomo Veroni get to beat up on a quote-unquote lower opponent. And then you have the top team in the East alongside you, the FC Cincinnati. That will be a test for not only the team, but also for Veroni. Yeah, I think this, you know, Veroni, we've seen it the last couple of games. Um, obviously, we beat, him, beat up on him pretty bad here uh, on the podcast. And also the fans, obviously, were kind of chomping at the bit to finally see if Giacomo Veroni would fit in and look like he was outside the lineup. And he's worked his way back in. Uh, some of that's due to injury. Obviously, Gustavo Bo, Bobby Wood unavailable. Josie Altador are also unavailable for this match. So Giacomo Veroni is there. Um, is it? That he earned his spot, or was it the fact that there was a lack of availability? And that's certainly a question. But I think you're starting to see him figure things out. I think he's putting himself in better positions than he had in the past. Um, were the two goals cheap goals or great goals? Maybe like definitely not a great goal by him for either of those goals. But at the end of the day, he found the back of the net. He was in the right place at the right time. Um, so it's really promising to see Giacomo start the score and score a little consistently. It's still going to be really interesting, and I had brought it up last week with Sean, but when Gustavo comes back, you know, how does Veroni fit in? That's still a question mark with this team. There's a lot of question marks with this team, but at the end of the day, they came away with a 2-1 to win. 
but this leads into my key takeaway. The final 30 minutes of this match, they're up a man, and it, it didn't really feel like they were up a man, if you know what I mean, Sam. They yeah. I really felt like, you know, it was kind of even field. Um, and I, I think it shows to how far the revs have to go. Um, it's been impressive to me that they've been able to have this much success early in the year, despite having not played their best soccer. Um, and we still don't know what this team looks like fully healthy. Obviously, Nacho Heal, um, not available for this club. Obviously, Henry Kessel goes down with injury. Gustavo's been out with injury. Um so they haven't had the ability to field their best 11, but it is impressive. They were able to at least continue to come away with re- results. Um, but still, though, you're at home. You're up a man for the final 30 minutes, and you don't really put your foot on the gas. Um, and they're almost sort of lucky not to have conceded a second goal. Uh, so I-, I think this team needs to f- find out a way to, you know, th- <laughs> sorry. It's a second, Sam. I mean, sometimes, you know, after, you know, just to kind of, you know, get <laughs> onto your point, uh, Bruce Arena was definitely unhappy tonight. He he said the team, I believe, played crappy in that second half. And then also, too, uh, I believe, I, I forget what player it was. I know Ima Boateng did talk about it. Uh, actually, I believe uh, Esmir Baratarovic mentioned it when speaking with the media that Carlos Hill came in after the win and, you know, expressed his frustration of how the team played. So obviously the team isn't happy with that performance. And especially when that eight minute stoppage time came on, I, I was getting a little bit nervous, you know, want to make sure that I'm able to get my three thoughts out and don't have to completely rewrite it after a, a late goal from Kansas city. And once again, set pieces have become an issue for the revolution. It was a great set piece by Sporting Kansas city, all credit to them, Johnny Russell on the back post. It, it was great, you know, overall play by them. Uh, but the Revolution have to be better. They, like you mentioned, didn't really look like they were up a man. If anything, they looked like the team that were down a man. And I know Bruce Arena has mentioned it before as well, too, that sometimes when the team's up a goal or, you know, is trying to protect the lead, they play a bit too negative. And it especially seemed like that tonight, where either they were playing sloppy, they weren't taking their chances and really having that killer instinct that a guy like Tommy McNamara would say in finishing those chances to go up two goals. And they just really looked like they were on the back foot, even down a man. So it's definitely something they're going to need to work on because you're going to have a team like FC Cincinnati coming in. And if they're down a goal late in the game and you're just sitting back thinking you're going to withstand Lucho Acosta or Brandon Vasquez constantly pummeling George Petrovic, you're going to have another thing coming to you. And you could go from having three points to having zero. So definitely something that the team needs to work on. Yeah, and Sporting Kansas City is the worst team in the league, right? So certainly concerning. I mean, it was a beautiful goal uh, by Johnny Russell. A perfect goal by him. Um, can't blame Petrovich at all in that situation. But this is a really bad Sporting Kansas City team. They have three points on the season, which is absolutely atrocious. So for the Revolution, it's it's concerning. Um, this has kind of been one of their issues under Bruce Arena is they've had this, for whatever reason, in situations like this, they've kind of sat back or maybe didn't have the right approach. Um, you're up a man at home. You really need to put your foot down. But that being said, I guess to let them off a hook a little bit, they were down a significant amount of players. Obviously, Gustavo Bo unavailable, Josie Altador, Bobby Wood, um, Henrik Gessler obviously going down uh, with an injury and will be out for a long time. So as a team, they weren't fully fit. Uh, I believe they had 18 of the 20 match day spots filled. Um, so certainly a team that's depleted. And it was important for them to see out this result, but it'll be very interesting over the next week 
how they're able to play the U.S. Open Cup. Um, will they have a full deck of cards? Like, you know, who are they going to be able to play? It's probably going to be younger players. But then again, you have FC Cincinnati coming in. You play them next week, and they're tied right now with you for 20 points at top of the East. So really big game. It's going to be interesting to see how Bruce kind of balances the U.S. Open Cup and then also Cincinnati, um, which I think he's going to prioritize versus the Open Cup. Yeah, and you know, also I just want to give a uh, mention that Latif Blessing was missing from this game. You also had Dewan Jones, but I wanted to you know mention Latif Blessing because uh, he was granted permission from the club to go over to Ghana, and they're currently completing the visa process so that his family can come over. I know that was a big topic of discussion when he was acquired, and you know he expressed his frustration when he was in LA. So. It's obviously great news, you know, Seth uh, McCumber and Blazing Musket asked Bruce Arena about it, and I think we can kind of forget about the human side. You know, again, these aren't just robotic athletes. These are, you know, human beings, so it's great to see that the team was able to help out uh, Latif Lessing and be able to get his family over here. And, you know, especially uh, having that support system around him, you know, it could very well help them on the field but just you know from the human aspect it's great to see that it'll be but it will be interesting to see you know you have Dewan Jones picked up a knock in training hopefully that's not something that keeps him up for too long because the Henry Kessler stuff Bruce Arena originally after the game was like yeah this is a precautionary sub that we made and then all of a sudden now it's surgery for four months so hopefully it's not nothing too crazy with that uh we'll probably get asked our talk about Christian McCoon's performance didn't think he did that performed that well you obviously have Ben Sweat who made his debut tonight maybe he is able to fill that role for some time uh but it's a lot of injuries I think Jeff Lemieux tweeted that it was almost like 11 total players you were missing so the fact that the revolution were able to get three points is impressive but definitely needed a better effort in that uh second half yeah a lot of great points you brought up Sam especially with Latif Blessing it's good to see the team you know allowing Latif to be a human and you know being there for his family. I think it's important. Um, I think fans and a lot of people, they just expect players to play. Um, but there's obviously, there's a whole other side of the game that's it's not on the field, right? It's, it's just life. Um, so it's good to see that the team was willing to let Latif leave for a personal matter. And um, obviously they definitely missed him, but you know, family comes first, life comes first. Uh, in terms of, um, you know, the injuries, we're certainly going to get into it. There's a lot of uh, a lot of questions we're going to get to, but I did want to talk about sort of the, the back line. Um, you know, specifically, we had talked on this podcast a couple of times over the last couple of months, and I've talked about the weakness at outside back. Beyond Dewan Jones and Brandon By, there really wasn't a lot there, and obviously we had the Ryan Spaulding news this week that he was being loaned to the Tampa Bay Rowdies in USL, and you had Christian McCoon starting this game in the place of Dewan Jones, who was unavailable, it really just leads to a lot of questions about how Bruce has built this team. Um, you know, and at center back, we thought that they had bolstered their center back room when they had three starting caliber centering backs. And obviously, Kessler goes down. And now you have Farrell and Romney, and you look behind him, and it's Omar Gonzalez. You know, John Bell's not walking through that door. So a lot of questions on that back line for me, Sam. And obviously, I think Petrovic is going uh, to cover a lot of their holes. But, um, you know, certainly concerning when you look at the outlook of this team especially if a player like Farrell or Romney. I mean, if you have one more player go down there, that's going to be really devastating for them. So all of a sudden, that backline depth is really going to be tested over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, like you mentioned, 
not just uh, Romney or Farrell, but if you have Dewan Jones be out for an extended amount of time, you're now relying on either Christian McCoon to slot over or Ben Sweat. And then especially if a guy like Brandon Bai goes down, there's not really a like-for-like like fit. I know Josh Bulma has some experience playing at the right back, I believe, but he's been playing more recently, in the, especially with Revs 2, I believe, more in kind of a midfield or kind of like an outside winger role. Uh, so it would be interesting to see what they do. That's definitely still a spot that you could use some depth. And obviously, it seemed like Ryan Spaulding was lacking in playing time, not playing for either the first team or the second team. So it makes sense that he was moved, but you, you still could use some depth at the outside back, whether it be at left or right back. So I think the Revs are really going to be tested. It will be interesting to see what this roster looks like on a Tuesday. That definitely will be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, but especially against FC Cincy, you're going to be going up against a really talented team, and you're, you're going to be, I would say, decently shorthanded. Obviously, a guy like Latif could possibly make his return. Uh, hopefully, Dewan Jones can make his return. But like you mentioned, if one injury in that back line pops up, there could be a decent amount of problems. And I think the summer transfer window is something to keep an eye on. Obviously, there's a lot of questions about DPs, a lot of questions about the midfield. But it really seems like this back line could still use some sharing up if the Rebs really want to be an MLS contender. Yeah, and this will be a really big summer transfer window for Bruce Arena. Um, he's obviously had some swings and misses when it comes to the summer transfer window, but this one coming up is really, it could make or break the Bruce Arena error in Foxborough, especially if he departs at the end of the year. You know, this year is so critical for him. You know, you have an aging core. Obviously, Carlos Hill, Gustavo Bo are a year older. Um, so it's really going to be a key summer transfer window, but we, we have a game to talk about here in April. So we have a ton of listener questions, Sam, but before we jump into listener questions, I want to take a minute to talk about the sponsor of this podcast, Glosso Kits. Glosso Kits is the go-to place to get unique vintage jersey to your home. The passion for the beautiful game does not have borders and neither does their selection. If you head to GlossoKits.com today, you get 15% off your order using the code REVSRECAP. That's 15% off your order using the code REVSRECAP at checkout of your order at GlossoKits.com. Glosso Kits, thank you for sponsoring the podcast. Make sure you head over to them to support the podcast we have a ton of questions to get to today uh this is you know a really interesting game for the revolution um and had a lot of key takeaways from fans and readers listening to the podcast let's get right into it we have a question from aiden on twitter asking about the best midfield personnel in shape he has buck latif film barrero carlos Hill as the names um He's not sure that they can all play. He feels that Dylan and Carlos Hill are starters. Um, so what do you think the best formation or personnel is of the midfield, Sam? Fully healthy. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Obviously, I think it'll be different, whether it be, you know, Matt Polster. We saw him, uh, you know, take that hit to the head from a, a pass or a ball. And, you know, with his concussion history, that's a little concerning. And obviously, he's, he was able to continue playing. But these things can kind of crop up you know, 24, 48 hours afterwards. So definitely something to keep an eye on there. But I think right now you have a guy like Dylan Barrell and Carlos Hill. Those are bona fide starters. You definitely need them. I would say Latif Blessing is also a part of that. And I really think that final spot uh, is going to be something to keep an eye on. Matt Polster right now, I would say, has it just for his defensive ability and just overall his experience and uh, a, a defensive ability that he does offer 
But Esmir Baratarovic and Noel Buck are definitely knocking on that door. I thought Esmir had a, a pretty good game tonight. He once again just continued to show that, uh, you know, confidence on the ball. He's able to draw that early yellow card, which was a key yellow card when uh, Fountas was originally issued a second yellow, but then they went to VAR because you have to go to VAR when it's MLS, and they made it a straight red. But still, just being able to draw a foul early in the game was very important. He had that chance on the header. I don't think Esmir is really known for his headers, but you know, being able to be in the right place at the right time, like we said, with Giacomo Veroni is very important. So definitely shout out to him. And I just thought he had another good game, and I thought Noel Buck also looked solid as well. If you look at the position or you know the role that Matt Polster plays, I would say Noel Buck might be a more like for like. Uh, but you know, definitely thought Esmir played a good game. I think Noel Buck is really knocking on the door. But for right now, I would I would have to say Polster Barrero. Carlos Hill and Latif Blessing. Yeah, I think it's incredibly difficult. I, I think it's Barrero Heel or Pencilden, or they're in pen, right? The, yeah. the Pencilden players, I would say, are Blessing, Polster, and Buck. I think Buck has played well enough where it's tough to not play him because um, he hasn't made a ton of mistakes to the point where you should sit him down and he's been good in the starting role. But I think Blessing would have the edge on Noel at this point. Um, and then Polster's just Mr. Reliable. Um, he's been a very good player for the Revolution for the last couple of seasons. So it feels like, to me, it would be Burrow, Heel, Polster, Blessing. But uh, Buck, to me, could be interchangeable. Um, and, and more often times than not, you're not going to have all four of those players healthy. So there will be opportunities. Uh, but old Buck, to me, has taken that next step at this point, And I think he is deserving of that starting role. Yeah, you know, uh, Seth McCumber, he he posted on Twitter at SethMan31, oh, like just a beautiful turn that uh, Noel was able to make. And I know a lot of the talk is just about him physically kind of, you know, growing into his body and getting a bit stronger. He's just able to hang, you know, with the big boys of MLS. So l like I've said before, he's knocking on the door and there's definitely an argument, like you mentioned, for him to start over a guy like Polster. But I just think the veteran experience, you know, the calmness in those chaotic situations, that's when you want a guy like Matt Polster in the match. Yeah, I think Noel might be most improved player versus last year on the team. Mm. Um, mate, I, I think so, so. What we've seen so far, I think he might be the leading candidate on the team for most improved. I would, I would probably have to agree with you, Tanner. But still a lot of season to play, so who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have a question from Derek Terrell. He says, we have seen Bo and Veroni perform well individually. Will Bruce try them together for 60 or even a full 90 minutes? Oh, that That is the million-dollar question. I think we're all trying to figure out, you know, if Bo is able to play alongside Veroni. Uh, it's the same thing that happened with Buxa, and so it's going to happen again. It's just really interesting to see, the, at least attempt to compare and contrast our plays playing styles because how many times have we seen Gustavo Bo get caught off sides trying to make that run behind the line where Giacomo Veroni has been able to time it pretty well and I feel like you kind of need someone who's going to be more of that traditional hold-up striker to pair with someone like Gustavo Bo. I don't know if Gustavo Bo would be able to transform into that guy but especially tonight you didn't really see that from Giacomo Veroni he was more trying to make those line breaking runs and you know he's done quite well of those and he's shown great movement. But I don't know how that will necessarily work with Gustavo Bo up top as a striker. We've seen the experiment of Gustavo Bo kind of playing in more of that like winger role, but that would 
and that involve you probably moving someone like Dylan Barrero, you know, out to the right wing and just playing him out of position. So it's going to be a real kind of selection headache for Bruce Arena. You already had one with how well Bobby Wood was playing, but he's been gotten injured, so that's allowed for Baroni to kind of leapfrog him into the starting lineup. And you've also had both struggling with injuries. So it'll be interesting to see how Bruce responds because right now Veroni's, you know, pretty hot. He's doing quite well. Confidence is probably at an all-time high. But what is how is he going to do next to a guy like Gustavo Bo, who might not want to be that physical, you know, might not want to be going up for headers. So it'll be interesting to see. I think it's the million-dollar question, and, and that's on Bruce Arena to figure out the answer. Yeah, he has to figure it out. Uh, at the end of the day, Bruce has to figure out how you play Bo and Veroni together. I think it would be difficult to move on from either of them, you know, in the summer window. I think you have to figure it out. You have to play them together to get that to work. Uh, I think it's tough to do it in training. You got to find it in a live match, and you got you to let them work through the difficulties or the learning curve that might come with it. Um, you might not see an immediate clicking, but I think you have to give them a run out of a couple games, to them together. And obviously, you're going to have Carlos Hill feeding him in, so there will be scoring opportunities. And um, it'll be very fascinating to see what formation they end up working in. Uh, do you play two strikers with Bo and Veroni, or do you put Bo out on the wing or Veroni out on the wing? Like, do you play them out of position potentially? I think with Bo, we've seen that a couple of times throughout his tenure with the Revs. So it'd be super curious on how this all pans out. But at the end of the day, Bruce has to play them together. Uh, and he has to play them together sooner rather than later, because the longer you wait, the harder I think it will end up being inevitably for them to click. Yeah, and, you know, Bruce loves to say that every player is the same. But we were talking about it when Veroni was on the bench, that you can't really have a DP on the bench. So you I, you have to figure out how to get all those those three players on the field at the same time and have them clicking. So far, Carlos Hill, he'll make the magic happen no matter who's up top. It's just figuring out, how you can get Veroni and Bo to work together in the best, you know, formation or, you know, just however you want to package that. You just need them to be on the same page. The next question comes from Steve McGrogan on Twitter. He says, many teams seem to be struggling with injuries this year. Is it the schedule, turf, or just unlucky run of bad luck? Uh, it's really interesting this with the Revs because we saw it with uh, Andrew Farrell where he struggled with a uh, hamstring issue in the preseason. And then now I believe you're seeing it with uh, Henry Kessler, uh, you know, dealing with his leg injury. So it's really interesting. I know there's a lot of talk about the turf. Uh, that could be it. We are also seeing a lot of guys pick up knocks in training. It's really hard to tell guys to take it easy in training, but you saw it with Dewan Jones, you saw it with a thief blessing who I think missed two games after having to get stitches. So it's, it seems like a lot of bad luck, personally. I, I definitely think maybe if you have grass, there's not as much hamstring injury issues. We saw it with Atlanta last season. Uh, they were just ravaged by, you know, ACLs and hamstrings. Uh, but I think really it's just some bad luck. And also, players around the world, it's not just MLS, are playing the most games that they have. In, it almost seems like in all of human history. Just, you know, COVID kind of messed up the seasons. And then you have the Winter World Cup. These guys are playing a lot of games, and it just seems like their bodies are starting to wear down. And it, it goes back to the point that these guys aren't robots. They're not, not going to be able to go out there and play 90 minutes each and every week and not get hurt. 
So I think I think it's a lot of things, but I would say probably bad luck and then just overall wear and tear from unprecedented amount of games being played. Yeah, I think for starters, you know, they shouldn't play on artificial turf. Not just soccer, but football as well. I think it should all be played on grass. I think it's better for the the players. It's not even close. Um, so hopefully we get to that point in the future. I know there's some pushing on the NFL side because at the end of the day, if the NFL does it, Gillette Stadium will have grass. Um, that's what's going to take to have grass at Gillette in terms of the revolution. But I think a lot of it's just being unlucky, maybe going too hard in training. Um, I'm not going to get into all the conspiracy theories, uh, <laughs> which there's a lot of them. If, you, if you're on Twitter at all for about two minutes, you'll see a conspiracy theory about it. I think there's just certain players at the end of the day that just have an unlucky run of injuries and others. Obviously, Gustavo is one of them, and I think Henry Kessler is becoming one of them as well. Um, just certain people get injured a little bit more than others. So it's just but a bit of unluck. Uh, but the Revolution are still finding ways to win. They're you know top of the conference right now with 20 points. So it, it's been actually really impressive the grid of this team to come out with the results, given they haven't had a, a full roster at, at any point this year. So definitely impressive. The next question comes from John Plinkleton on Twitter. He says, is a repeat Selly a bad look on Veroni? Sam, you like this one. I was going to say, ooh, I, I don't know. You got to get a signature celebration. You know, Mbappe, you know, he switched it up a little bit, but... He kind of has the same variation of uh, Erling Holland again. I think that's where Veroni might get the inspiration. I wasn't able to ask him. He only took a few questions post-game. I wasn't able to uh, get one in there. I'd love to know his inspiration for the celebration. I, I don't think it's a bad look. I think you got to establish a brand, establish, you know, something that's your own. It'll be tough because I think when every, whenever someone sees that, they either think of Erling Holland or Zava from Ted Lasso. Uh, but, I like it actually. You know, he still he has that fist pump, then he goes into it. I, I like it. I don't think it's a bad look. I think you gotta establish your brand. You see it with Gustavo Bo, kind of the Panther face. Uh Carlos Hill doesn't really have a signature one yet. No buck with the ten point buck. I think everyone should have their own signature celebration. Yeah, I think it's easy easier to market yourself as a player, easier for the team to market you or to sell it, right? in terms of advertisements and things like that. So I have no problem with them doing it. Uh, just be consistent when you do it, you know, just do it for every goal, like make it your signature. Um, but, you know, personally, if I was scoring goals in front of a big crowd, I'd probably change it up, you know, like I'd have one for the first goal. And if I had a second goal in that game, I'd have that. And if I had the hat trick, I'd have another one. You gotta, you know, you gotta make it a big thing, make it an event. Same. I think it's fun. Nah, I think you're right. I tried to pull off the Mbappe in the media game after I scored the luckiest goal of my life, and I like mistimed the jump. It was really bad. It's caught on camera. I don't think I ever posted it because I looked like an absolute joke. Uh, but yeah, you know, I definitely th think you can go with that. I remember as a FIFA player, I would always do FIFA player career mode, and because I was usually being American, like I would. Because uh, you know I'm from America, uh, I would do like the salute because you know like you're in a foreign country, you know America salute, you know what I'm saying. Uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Maybe I don't know. It just he seems like a very zen guy. Maybe he's big into yoga, or maybe he just really liked Erling Holland. <laughs> I guess we'll have to ask him to find out. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we have a question from G Revs TV on Twitter. He says, "Should we be worried about that performance, considering that was the worst team in Major League Soccer? They couldn't score and let them look dangerous when we were up a player." Dot dot dot. 
I mean, I, I think as we said before, there's reason to be a bit concerned, but I wouldn't take too... I, I, I would say there's reason to be concerned. And also, I think it's been talked about that Kansas City just seems like a team that has to figure it out or else Peter Vermees is going to be gone. Just because they, you have Alan Polito, you have Daniel Shalloway, you have Johnny Russell. You got to figure it out. They scored their third goal of the entire season tonight and obviously that's not a great look uh you know if you're the revs in that back line if they, they did quite well to start the season and now they've kind of been a little bit leaky when it comes to goals uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes but overall you, you just need to have a much stronger performance i think we've seen it in the past where the revs can especially in 2022 the revs can just you know, take their foot off the gas pedal a little bit and you just can't do that in MLS. teams are gonna make you pay especially the good ones so I think you might have seen that a little bit, and you just need to be on it for 90 minutes. If you're going up against Cincinnati and Atlanta or, you know, one of the top teams in the West, they're going to make you pay. So I would say be concerned, but with the level that the Rebs are scoring goals, uh, they're able to make up for those mistakes. Now, when the goals aren't exactly coming, that's when you get a bit concerned, and you just really need to be on it for 90 minutes. Yeah, I think that's pretty much how it plays out right you're up two goals you're at home you're up a man uh you probably get a little complicit and you know sit back and think you have the game in hand and you know a team like sporting kansas city and with you know fairly good coach and some talented players you know they're not just gonna sit back right they're gonna try to come back they have nothing to lose they're down two goals on the road down a man of course they're gonna push and they're trying to push for a goal and i think you know, their revolution are going to have to have a, a check about it. They're going to have to have conversation about it and see out the result. You now you're at home. You want to see out the result. You want to keep a clean sheet. And the fact that you did concede a goal and you were up a man, uh, certainly disappointing for them. But uh, it's one of those things that you're happy it happens now. And obviously they still came up with three points, which is the most important thing. Yeah, and I think it's also you're happy that they're vocalizing, whether it be the team or even to us in the media, that they're not pleased with this performance, whether it be Bruce Arena, Carlos Hill, that, you know, everyone kind of realizes that they need to be better. So it's not like the team's just happy that they got the three points. They know they have to be much better, you know, much cleaner and just overall play a much better game. It's just all about hoping to see that click. It's great to be like, all right, we need to make this change. But if you keep saying you're going to make the change and not do it, that's when it really becomes a problem. So hopefully, especially with the revolution getting healthy, uh, hopefully they're able to make the necessary changes and be a little bit more locked down in those uh, final minutes. Our next question comes from our friend Gustavo Lopes. Gus says on McCoon, he says, the West is such a powerful conference. Okay, sorry. Gus has two questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're only supposed to do one questions, guys. Let's keep the tweets to one question. But, you know, because we like Gus, we're going to answer both of them. He says, thoughts on McCoon first. Thoughts on McCoon. Well, first off, Gustavo came up to me while I was recording and asked to say hi. And I said no. So I should have pulled, pulled him on. We could have pulled him on and asked him, hey, you know, only one question. You can ask it live on the podcast. Now he knows. Now he knows. Here we go. Uh, I, I was originally kind of okay with how McCoon performed, but as the night went on, he just continued to look a bit more rough. I thought, obviously, you missed Dewan Jones' speed and, you know, just ability to take on defenders 
with a guy like McCoon, he's more of sending kind of long balls, being a bit more physical to, uh, due to just his overall stature. Uh, but I really didn't think he offered a lot of greatness into the game. You know, there's definitely some points where he could have made some big mistakes. Luckily, Kansas City wasn't able to capitalize. I believe it was just his second game at left back. Obviously, it's due to Dewan Jones being out. But if you're going to look at him as a possible long-term solution, I don't know if that's a great idea, whether it be coming off the bench or you know starting the occasional game. I think he's much better suited to maybe a center back or you know center defensive mid role. Uh, so I, I wasn't necessarily impressed. Hopefully, you know maybe it's just one game. Uh, but when it comes to left back, uh, it'll be interesting to see who Bruce Arena can rely on because I don't know if Christian McCoon really is that guy. So I'll start by saying this: I have never been overly impressed with Christian McCoon at any position. But what I have been impressed with is at least his versatility or willingness to be a versatile player he can play in the midfield he can play center back and play outside back so for that i'll give him credit um you know overall i think he's a mediocre player um but he's like a utility player in baseball right he's like brock holt or you know a player like that where you can do a bunch of things he won't do it particularly well but he'll do it um so you know that's mccoon's role in this team if he's your long-term outside back if there's any issue with you know, Dewan Jones long-term, or if he's being plugged in the center back long-term, um, you know, certainly that'd be a big red flag. But, you know, if you put him in a spot like this, I think he's okay. Um, I think he's incredibly mediocre. You know, I think people have heard my thoughts on Christian McCoon a lot, and it hasn't really changed. But, you know, you have to give him credit to actually be willing to be flexible um, and not being overtly a huge liability consistently for the team. Second question from Gus. He says the West is such a powerful conference that the last team can be difficult things for the top team in the East. So he's basically saying the worst team in the West gave the Revs some trouble who are the top team in the East. So is that basically saying the West is better than the East at this point? I mean, overall, I think the last few seasons, though, I don't know. I'd have to look and kind of go back in my memory, but definitely when you have teams like Seattle, LAFC, uh, this season, St. Louis has been absolutely insane. So I definitely think there are some contenders in the West. I think the East looked like it was going to be stronger this season. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Obviously, you have the Revs, you have Cincinnati, you have Atlanta, but I think a team like Orlando was expected to do better than they actually are. I think maybe Charlotte might have been, you know, a look to be a little bit better. Uh, also, to Toronto, they're an absolute dumpster fire. Uh, so they are having a terrible season after looking to do better with Insigne coming back and Bernadeschi. And then also to Philadelphia Union have had their ups and downs. So I'd probably agree that the West is stronger. But I do think a top team like New England can hang with the big boys. Obviously, you have the LAFC loss. That was rough. It will be interesting to see. I don't believe we will be able to see it. But if they were able to hang with someone like a Seattle I, they don't play St. Louis. We don't get the John Bell revenge game, so we won't see how they perform against them. But really, at the end of the day, you don't have to worry about playing the West until you're in the MLS Cup. And obviously, if the Reds were to make the MLS Cup, a lot of us would be quite happy. Uh, so I don't think it's nothing to get too concerned about. It's obviously a little bit of a point of pride if you're in the tougher conference or the better performing conference. But if the West is better, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, at the end of the day, it doesn't 
doesn't truly matter at all. Uh, it's just interesting to look at, but I I think it's too early to say the West is better. But just looking at the teams in the West, I'd, I'd be inclined to say that they probably are going to be the better teams. Um, that's not to say the Revs aren't good, or you know, Atlanta will certainly hold their own. Cincinnati's had a good start to the year, but um, you know, the MLS Cup champions from last year are in the West, so I'd say the West is better as of now. Then we'll determine who's the best at the end of the season. <laughs> Uh, we have our next question from Randy on Twitter. He says, what's the point of changing the second yellow on a KC player to a straight red? I mean, I, Randy, it beats me, my man. Because obviously, no matter what, you're getting a red card. Uh, obviously, no matter what, uh, Fontes is getting sent out of the game. I don't know if it's any punishment. We, you know, we are talking with the comms team of revs. We really... Didn't have any idea why they were looking at it at VAR. It, it definitely seemed like something that could have been reviewed after the fact. I Again, maybe there's some punishment that can come with a straight red. Or also, too, I mean, there is yellow card accumulation, so maybe it's that. Uh, but overall, another confusing VAR moment uh, that led to n- nice eight minutes of extra time. Bruce Arena this time looked much happier. Seth was able to catch the moment where Bruce Arena was absolutely grinning from ear to ear with a beautiful smirk. But overall, it just once again seems like VAR had to introduce itself into the game. I don't know if it was exactly necessary. No matter what, Fountas was going to be out of the game, so might as well just stick with the call on the field. But, you know, VAR's got a VAR. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it was a straight red. It should have been a straight red. So at the end of the day, it was the right call. But he was out of the game, right? There's no point to stop the game. To, to extend the game and to have stoppage and disconnect the fans and maybe fans at home turned it off because there was a stoppage in play. Like, there's no point to do it. Um, we could have done it retroactively, but it was the right call. I do think Major League Soccer should look at that instance and say, well, if it's going to be a straight red and he's out of the game, why can't we just do this after the game? Like, why are we doing this now? Why are we stopping play? Like, let's do this retroactively. Like, how they change who scored the goal, right? Yeah. It, it, from a goal. It's like, just confirm the red card at that point or confirm the yellow after the fact. Yeah, and I, I will say it is nice and kind of interesting that uh, I know on, up on the big screen they were able to put, like, what they were checking and stuff. So at least that, it gives fans an idea of, like, what's going on, what exactly they're looking for. But even then, just the amount of time that it took, it, it seemed like if you were going to make that straight red call and, you know, like you said, it was the right call and it seemed quite clear, it's not something that should be taking like two, you know, even more than a minute. It's taking like 30 to like 60 seconds. So the fact that it just takes so long, it, it can take fans out of the game, like you did mention, and it really disrupt the flow. So obviously, you know, the ends kind of justified the means in the sense that they were able to make the right call. But just how they go about it, it just really confuses things and can take fans out of the game and just really ruin the flow of the game. So. You know, again, VAR's going to VAR. Bruce Arena's, you know, at least this time, he didn't have to be mad about it. It didn't go against him, but it definitely was another confusing one. Yeah, it also can, you know, stop the momentum of the game. It could have gave Kansas City the time to sort of stop and regain their composure, although I think they're probably just as confused about the VAR situation as probably Bruce Arena usually is. We have... A question from Gino Anderson. Um, two questions, but I'm just going to read the second one that he said. Uh, would he, basically is asking, would you start Giacomo Veroni next week if Bobby Wood is healthy? 
Me personally, I would. I think you kind of have to ride the hot hand, and obviously he's quite hot. And also, too, you just need him to be in your starting lineup as a designated player. He's earned the right to be in the starting uh, lineup. You want to continue to ramp up a guy like Bobby Wood. And I think he's kind of shown, you know, he's a veteran. He's had to deal with injuries. So I think instead of putting a ton of miles on him, you really, you know, pick and choose your moments. You know, if you're late in a game, you need to bring someone on. Like, I think even in this game, you could have used a guy like Bobby Wood or even Josie Altador coming on just to be a physical presence and kind of, you know, wear down opponents. So I definitely think that's more the role you want to see from Bobby Wood. Obviously, he was performing at a high level. You don't want to take him out. But now that he's hurt, now that Veroni's playing well, I, I would say you lean on Giacomo Veroni. You know, eventually Gustavo Bo will come back. Hopefully, you're able to pair those two. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would say you give him the start, ride Giacomo Veroni. And unless he goes into an absolute cataclysmic cold streak, you're going to probably see lots of Giacomo Veroni in the starting 11. Yeah, I think it's a difficult question because Bobby Wood didn't necessarily play poorly to the point where he should be out of the lineup, but you do have to look at Giacomo Veroni and what he is. He's a designated player. He's a player that has scored at a high level in his career. Um, and yeah, he struggled for the majority of his time at the revolution. But if you look at last year, he was banged up and it was tough for him to adjust. And to start this year, I think there was a lot of pressure on him. Uh, and the team certainly brought in Bobby Wood and you had Josie Altador and you had Gustavo Bo. And, you know, there's a lot of talented players around him. And I think, you know, it just didn't work initially. And he's starting to find back the net now. Obviously, part of that's the fact that, well, Gustavo is not available and Bobby Wood's not available. And obviously, Josie Altador wasn't available for this match. So I think you have to start Giacomo Veroni over Bobby Wood, but they're just two different types of players. Um, you know, it, at the end of the day, it, it's who do you value to be more successful? Is it Gustavo Bo or Giacomo Veroni? And who can they work together? Right. It goes back to that question. Can they figure it out together? And if they can't, then you really have to figure out who is more important to your success. Is it Gustavo Bo? And do you play someone alongside him that puts him in the best situation, which maybe that would be a Bobby Wood at that point. So I think Bobby Wood's a really good backup option. I love Bobby Wood off the bench. I think he's a better option than Josie Altador, right? So if Veroni's not having success or if Gustavo's out of gas or he's gone off sides 15,000 times in a game, you know, Bobby Wood's a pretty good option to come off the bench. So this team is at their best or will be at their best when Giacomo Veroni's in the lineup. So that's why he starts over Bobby Wood for me. Yeah, and I just want to give a shout-out to Gino. He visited Fat Tuesdays and still was able to make it into the match. Fat Tuesdays, very dangerous place. So glad he's able to make it into the match. And, I mean, I don't want to overstep my bounce, Tanner. But I feel like I, I, I enjoy Gino. So if his question isn't the same as something we've already answered, like maybe we can go with it. Well, he does have a, that was his question, but we'd have a second question from him. Uh, it, it's sort of similar, but you know we can we can answer it for sure. So, will Veroni ever score against a team that isn't the bottom of the table? Oh, I, I think he will. I think Giacomo Veroni will start scoring goals against you know top teams. I don't, well, you know, I'm gonna go on a limb here, Tanner. You know, on the last podcast that I was on here with Greg, as well as Seth, he made us guarantee a win against. Uh, I completely forgot the team they just played Sporting Kansas City. I'm going <laughs> to yeah. come out and say that Giacomo Veroni scores against 
tied for first FC Cincinnati right now. I'm doing that just for you, Gino. Expect expect the Zen Zoland Zoland Holland Zava Selby to come out against FC Cincinnati. Well, Gino does have a point, right? So if you do look at Giacomo Ferroni, he scored three goals this year. Two of them came in this match. This match, they played against the worst team in the, the West, SKC. And the other goal that he scored was against the worst team in the East, Montreal. So up to this point this season, he has not scored against talented teams or at least good teams. But I think it's all about confidence with Giacomo. I think, you know, he got kind of lucky. And, and when you're getting lucky and scoring goals, like he's just at this point, like, you have to think it just continue to come, right? So a really big test against FC Cincinnati next week. Not just a big test for him, but it's going to be a big test for the entire team. Um, but yeah, I think he has to prove himself against good competition because Gino's right at this point. He's only scored against literally the worst teams in the league. So, Well, Gino, I just gave you that guarantee. So if it doesn't hit, please do not tell me that I was wrong. Same goes for Kirsch Drefs. <laughs> I think they're going to have all the receipts, Sam, unfortunately. Curse drives always does. Credit to them. <laughs> yeah, they do a good job for sure. Uh, we have our next question. It's going to be from Matt Clayman on Twitter. He has another Veroni question here. Uh, this one's a little bit different. Um, why do you think Veroni started to perform better in the last couple of games? Is it him simply adapting and getting more comfortable or the revs doing something different tactically to get him involved? I, I would definitely say, so when you look at the Montreal game, I don't think it was anything different. I think, obviously, when you have George Petrich just absolutely punt the ball, you're able to get onto it and just go through Montreal's back line. You know, kudos to Giacomo Veroni, but also, again, we talked about it. Montreal wasn't especially the uh, most fear fearsome uh, back line, but just being able to find that goal was really important for him. And I think just that that one goal has given him the confidence to go out there and feel like he can continue to do so. And I think especially tonight, you saw him score two goals. That's only going to boost his confidence and just have him feeling you know good, whether it be off or on the field, and feeling good with the chemistry of his teammates. You saw Ima Boateng be able to link up with him and talking with Ima after after the game. He just talked about how much of a hard worker. Uh, Giacomo Veroni is and that he just knew that he would be able to find Veroni in the box in space and he would be able to score the goal so I think a lot of it has to just do with confidence and being able to see the ball go into the back of the net I don't necessarily know if it's anything tactically I just feel like he's feeling more confident he's making those runs and he's seeing the ball go into the net and it might seem really simple but that can help a player just perform to his potential and perform like the player that revolution fans expected when he was first acquired. Yeah. I think you saw in that first goal, his embrace with the Ima Boateng, you could tell how much it meant to him. And I think also to Ima as well. Ima Boateng had a great, great match. Um, you know, kind of proved why he's on the team, why he deserved to be on the team. Um, so great match from Ima, but I think you could just see how much that goal had meant to, to Veroni. And I think with Veroni, it's, it's less about the tactical part of it and more about his confidence. And also I think for his teammates to get continued playtime with him and figure out what works for him and, you know, him also figuring out where he needs to be on the field to make the smarter run and to be available to receive Carlos heel and his teammates as well. So I think it's just a, a mixture of him feeling more comfortable and building his confidence, but also his teammates also building their confidence with him as well. And sort of the chemistry that comes with it because he hadn't really had a ton of playing time with the players on the field 
and there's still going to be obviously a question when Gustavo comes back and other players, but um, I think it's more to do with that than them actually adjusting themselves tactically to accommodate for him. We have a question from Bill Davidson. He said, why couldn't the Revs close out this game? Why did they keep on giving SKC chances? He also says, why can't Veroni dribble? Why did Rivera play so badly? I mean, (laughs) that's a lot of questions here. It's like a, you know, it's like a quiz, pop quiz. Yeah. Got to get some who's, got to get some where's, some what's. Uh, but How? yeah, I mean, when it comes to Rivera, I think it can just be very difficult coming into a game off the bench. I remember even talking to Carlos Hilo and he can talk about just how different it is to be thrust into the middle of a game. I do think that opportunity that he had, he'll, he'll want that one back and want that goal, but you know, let, let's give him a break. But I think when it comes to just not being able to kind of close things out again, it's the million dollar question. You gotta, you gotta figure out what the team is able to do and, you know, be able to share themselves up in that back line, especially when it comes to set pieces, that has been an issue. But I think a lot of it is just being locked in for 90 minutes. Uh, There was so many questions. Why can't Veroni dribble? I mean, I really haven't noticed Giacomo Veroni's dribbling being too much of a problem. A lot of it has been mostly because... He's able to get those runs in behind the line, so there's not really a lot of crazy dribbling you have to do. Uh, so I didn't necessarily notice that, but yeah, I think overall, when it again, when it comes to closing out games, the team number one needs to figure it out. But I think more importantly, it's just about being locked in for 90 minutes. Yeah, I think it was very difficult for Damian Rivera to come off the bench. Um, so I, I agree, it was difficult. If he had scored that goal, that question wouldn't even be there. Um, you'd like to have seen him score in that situation but at the end of the day i don't know i think with rivera it's it's tough to know what his future is i think you he's a couple years in obviously at this point as a pro and you're seeing uh, players like no buck uh jack Paniotto also sort of eclipse him uh, i think him and Renix are in a weird situation right now where they have to basically take that next jump or um the team has to make a decision and, and give them playing time too so It'll be very interesting to see what the long-term um, outlook is for a player like Damian Rivera. Yeah, and I, I you know, I, you stole the words out of my mouth. I was going to mention Justin Rennick. You know, obviously, he was able to get that goal uh, last year. Definitely big for him. But it's just really interesting. I would say kind of puzzling to see what Bruce Arena is going to do with him. Because that striker, you know, room is, is quite deep, especially when healthy. I think when it comes to Tuesday, I would expect to see both Justin Rennix and Dam and Damian Rivera playing. Uh, but just again, those their overall role on the roster just really seems to be in a state of flux. Uh, and it'll be really interesting to see what happens after the season. If they don't perform, it seems like this could be a time where we see them, you know, head out, whether it be to possibly an MLS side or maybe even a USL side. So I think it's a really important year for those two, but it all depends on how much playing time they're able to get. We have some Discord questions to round out today. We got a, a couple on Discord here. We have a couple questions from Evan Ryan. Um, his first question was, was this the worst performance ever by the Revs in a win? I mean, based off the comments from Bruce Arena and, you know, Carlos Seal not being happy, I, I might, you know, I, I would maybe tend to agree just in the fact that you were literally up a man and Kansas City was stable to really 
put it to you and almost, you know, steal a point and, you know, get a point out of this game. Uh, there's definitely probably some games where if you go back, it might not have been the cleanest game. Uh, but I would say based off the reaction, I was, I was quite stunned about uh, how unhappy Bruce Arena was after that game. So I'll probably agree with Evan and say that it is. Yeah, I've seen a lot of bad performances by the Revs. Um, that being said, they're up a man for over 30 minutes at home. You can see the goal. Yeah, that's a bad performance. Um, so, yeah, I agree with Evan as well. I can't think of any off the top of my head that were that bad, and they still won. His second question, actually, it's not really a question, but it's kind of a funny comment, uh, <laughs> and I'll turn it into a question. So after Sweat's first game with us, I'm ready to ask for Spalding to be recalled. <laughs> that was his comment. And I, I ask you, what were your thoughts on his first game of the Revolution? I mean, I, I don't... Uh, he came in late in the game, so I think there there's that aspect. But there was some times where he, he might have had some poor touches, but I do think there is that chemistry part. He literally just joined the team. So hopefully they're able to figure out that bumps. I think he probably would have liked a better debut and be able to make more of an impact. You know, there was a chance where, you know, he had the ball going up the left flank and he passed it to like no one in the middle. Uh, so he probably would have liked that back. I think there were so many moments, especially with the Revs, you know, being sloppy, but also Kansas City, where there's just these balls that were sent to like the middle of the field from, you know, either side and they were just absolutely no one. Uh, so I don't exactly think it was a great performance. Uh, I think, obviously, it was great for him to get his debut, get that home debut out of the way. But whether it be coming up on Tuesday or his next appearance, he'll want to do a, a little bit better. And I think maybe with some time, getting more acclimated to his teammates, that can improve. But obviously, Kansas City fans, they weren't uh, the biggest fans of him. So I think he does have a chip on his shoulder to kind of prove Kansas City wrong you know I, I asked him how things ended it he didn't want to get into details but he said there's two sides to every story so it kind of seems like he has that chip on his shoulder and wants to prove that KC's KC shouldn't have cut him so it's one performance I wouldn't get too uh too, too overreaction and you know overreact too much in the sense and say that you know to be really nervous about it but I definitely think he can be better and it'll be interesting to see, you know, instead of going to someone like Christian McCoon, could you go to a Ben Sweat? Uh, but overall, definitely think uh, he will hopefully improve. And hopefully Bruce Arena once again show why he's the best at intra-MLS trades or acquisitions. Oh, I don't I don't know after Sebastian Lejet or Josie Altador, we can say that, I, Sam. I mean, I'll, I'll counter that with Latif Blessing and Dave Romney. Latif Blessing, TBD. Dave Romney, yes. I'll give you that. Okay, but he's he's quite good at it. How about quite good? Eh, he's incredibly mediocre in recent years. I, I'm not going to give GM Bruce, Bruce Arena any credit. I think, you know, maybe Coach Bruce Arena is not a big fan of supporting director Bruce Arena with some of the decisions that have been made. I want to make it very clear. I'm talking about inter-MLS moves because if we go to international and, like, all transfers— then we have to uh, bring up the lovely Christian Mafla and the Alexander Bootners. Uh, so when you go to that, that really brings it into the bad range. But I think, you know, the inter-MLS deals are, you know, like when it comes to someone like Ben Sweat being let go. I, I Obviously, I'm not willing to, like, say that Bruce absolutely uh, nailed it with Ben Sweat after one game. Uh, but especially Dave Romney, Latif Blessing. 
uh, bringing those guys in, I think he was great. The Sebastian Jet, I think it was a great acquisition. I think then immediately getting rid of him was not great at all. Uh, but I think when it comes to, I think you just have to be happy with Dave Romney and Latif Blessing, especially after uh, the failed experiments, at least last season, when it comes to Omar and Josie. I think, you know, Josie has done his job per se this season. Same goes for Omar. You know, especially compared to last season, I think Omar has done a lot better. Maybe that says more about last season than this season. Uh, but they've done their jobs. But o- overall, I think Bruce definitely could do a lot better. And like you said, there's definitely times where Bruce, the head coach, is like, why did Bruce, the GM, do this? Uh, but he has made some good moves. Yeah, he certainly has. I think Dave Romney has proved to be a, a very key acquisition for them, especially now the fact that Henry Kessler is going to be out for an extended period of time. We have one more question here. It is from Rachel D on Discord. It says, how does SAS should the lineup change for Tuesday's Open Cup match against Harford? That That's going to be interesting because I do think you're going to see a lot of youngsters, you know, the likes of Justin Rennix, Damien Rivera, Jack P, Noel Buck, uh, uh, Esmir. I would expect to see them get run out just basically because they're young. And you want to possibly rest guys like Carlos Hill. Um, I think someone like Giacomo Veroni will probably get another run out. You just want to continue to build that confidence. Uh, maybe you see someone like Ima Boateng, who hasn't been in the starting lineup a lot, get another start. I think the back line would be really interesting to see uh, what Bruce does there. You don't really have a lot of options after Kessler. Uh, same goes with Dewan Jones. You know, saw Dewan in the locker room. And it's really tough to gauge after just looking at a guy chilling in the locker room. He looked good, but obviously, you know, you might want to be careful with him, especially in an open cup game against the Hartford side who struggled and will really want to get a win against the Revolution. Could possibly get a little bit trippy. So be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of youngsters. It'll be interesting to see. I don't know if I'm incorrect in this, but I know there were some short-term loans that the Revs did last season. I think Ben Ravino was able to get uh, one of his first starts in a Revs uniform uh, before he had a first-team contract coming up to play in the U.S. Open Cup. So maybe we see some guys come up from there. I think before he got a red card in the last game for Revs 2, Pierre Caillé might have been someone who could have earned the shout. I do think a player like Noble Okello if they are able to do those short-term loans, could be someone that they can look upon, you know, big guy, you know, has some experience with Toronto. And also I've just noticed that he's been training with a fair team on, you know, occasionally. Uh, So maybe you see some reps to face as well too, but heavily rotated. You're going to want to be out in full force against a team like FC Cincinnati. So I would expect, I want to say far from a first team or, you know, your preferred starting 11, but definitely a lot of faces who probably aren't getting a lot of starts uh, when it comes to the season so far. Yeah, I would say if they could do some of those inner organization loans, they should absolutely do so. I'm looking at Joshua Bulma as a player I'm kind of focusing in on for that game um, in terms of a player I'm most interested to see play in the extended run of minutes. Obviously, Jack pointing out to uh, Justin Rennix, Damian Rivera, those are players you're going to want to see. Maybe Earl Edwards starts in goal. He- heavily rotated. I would fully expect Bruce Arena to not take this game at all seriously, other than an opportunity for players that aren't getting consistent playing time. Playing time. Um, if you lose against Hartford, it's a bad look, obviously. 
Uh, so I'd fully expect him to win even with a, I would call it a third team lineup because um, they're just so banged up, right? They had 11 players that weren't available for this match against Sporting Kansas City. And I don't expect that to drastically change in the next couple of days. You might get a couple of players coming back, but you wouldn't necessarily want to throw them right on the field um, for this match, considering FC Cincinnati is really going to be a huge test. So they're not very deep. They're going to have to probably bring in some players from refs too, if they're able to, um, you know, but they should be able to be Hartford with even refs two players. Theoretically. Yeah. And you know, Bruce was asked kind of about, you know, handling the open cup and, you know, how are you going to approach uh, Tuesday's kind of squad selection? And he said that they're going to put a team out there who can win. So I think there's definitely some room to play with that. So it'll be, uh, it'll be really interesting to see who does uh, get get into the starting 11 and just overall how they perform. I I do think the US cha- USL championship can get a little underestimated, and I think you have a team like Hartford, like I mentioned before, they're struggling. Uh, also, too, they'll have that, you know, regional rivalry, quote-unquote, uh, you know, in the air and wanting to prove a point. You know, I asked Brandon By about it uh, prior to this game, and he said basically for these lower division teams, this is like their World Cup. You know, they want to, you know, have a cup set and really take down an MLS team. So they're going to be going hard. But I, like you said, this is a game that the Revolution definitely should be winning no matter who's out there. Yeah, it really should be an easy one for them. And if it's not, it'd be super concerning. But heavily rotated side, most likely. So it'll be a, certainly an interesting match um, for the Revolution. It's always fun to see something that's not Major League Soccer. The only thing I would say is I wish it wasn't in Gillette Stadium. I think it really takes away from some of the magic of the open cup. Like I wish they were just playing on some high school field. You know what I mean? Sam, like that small atmosphere. I think it's what's so great about the U S open cup is you sometimes have these big name players that aren't playing in these massive stadiums. I mean, Gillette looks ridiculous for major league soccer. It's going to look even more ridiculous on a midweek match for the U S open cup. So that's the one thing I wish they played some a little bit smaller, a little bit more cozier, uh, just to add that extra dynamic. Yeah, and I, I think it really is interesting. I know there's definitely conspiracy theories when it comes to that with people being like, oh, Bruce Arena doesn't want to play in these places. I know he kind of complained about where they played against NYCFC. Well, that was on a uh, parking but, garage, to be fair. They played on top of a parking garage in that game. <laughs> okay, I didn't say he was wrong. I just said no, he complained. Right. I'll defend Bruce there. Okay, okay. But uh, yeah, so I know there's that conspiracy theory, but I, I do think you're right in the sense that it just creates a much better atmosphere. I mean, personally for me, I would not have loved to drive to Hartford to uh, cover this game. Uh, but, you know, if you were to play there, I think it would be a much more, just, just a cooler atmosphere in the sense that you have uh, Bruce Arena and Tab Ramos going up against uh, each other in this kind of, you know, small, smaller pitch compared to Gillette Stadium and be more intimate and the fans will be up there. So I think it definitely would have been more, more intriguing, maybe. Uh, you know, obviously there's playing at Harvard or you could have played literally anywhere. Uh, but we will be coming down to Gillette Stadium on Tuesday for what I can only imagine will be an absolute packed house. 60,000 people, Tanner, are going to be coming to this game on Tuesday because they want to see the Joe Rice revenge game. I'm going to set the over-under at 10,000. Well, Tanner, even though I was being very facetious, uh, I do not think 60,000 people will show up for this game. No, I know. I know. But I'm I just setting make, the no. over-under at 10,000 fans. Oh, yeah. So even after I said all that jokingly, I'm pounding the under on that. <laughs> 
It'll be very interesting to see how many people come out to Gillette for that match on a weeknight. I'm just happy that we'll get the Brass Bonanza. Brass Bonanza and Gillette. I hope it's like that Rochester game you always talk about. I hope they bring flares. I hope someone gets kicked out. I hope it's give me the U.S. Open Cup a chaos that I desire. I also want to point out for do not do that. Do not. Yeah, I was gonna say for legal legal purposes, I'm not saying to bring flares, which will get you kicked out. That's that's hypothetically, extremely hypothetical. Wouldn't recommend that at all. Yeah. Yeah, and just to you know, fans, the what Sam had mentioned. I was at a Rochester Rhinos Revs two game last year, and some fans from Rochester, and there's like not even twenty fans in the stands total, but there was like five fans from Rochester. They had they popped off green smoke, and uh, they got kicked out of the stadium uh, for doing that. But it was very obvious because there was twenty fans in a sixty thousand seat venue. So I suggest not doing that or bringing into the uh, stadium at all. But shout out to the Brass Bands. Excited to see you guys. Yeah, and uh, thanks for joining, Sam. Um, it's been a great podcast. Where can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, so like Tanner mentioned, you can follow me on Twitter at Sam underscore Minton 22. But also make sure you are following us at Blazing Musket. I know uh, Elon in Twitter is really not a big fan of Substack links. So I would say definitely make sure whether... You know, you're a free subscriber. That uh, Make sure that you're getting all of our posts emailed right to you. You don't have to worry about going on Twitter. You can escape the hellscape that is the hashtag and get all of our stuff immediately sent to your inbox. And also, too, if you really like what we're doing, if you appreciate me sitting at your Let's Stadium, quite possibly the last car in the media lot doing this podcast for you. And also, you know, doing our, our great writing, you know, all of our staff, whether it be Tanner, myself, you know, shout out to Nathan Robillier doing our Hartford coverage. He's going to be up here for the Open Cup game, uh, whether it be Dolan taking all the great photos, Jake telling us why referee decisions are right and or wrong, or just, you know, Greg Johnstone, Josh Nye doing all the Revs 2 stuff and, you know, all the quick breaking news stuff. Uh, just everyone over the Blazing Musket is awesome. I just want to make that very clear. I absolutely love each and every one of you. Uh, but, yeah, so definitely make sure to check us out on Substack. Uh, check us out, www.theblazingmusket.com. And Tanner, it was an absolute blast. I hope my audio wasn't too bad and you guys get complaints because then I feel bad. Well, you know, my audio should sound fine. I'm on a real microphone here, so it's okay, Sam. You know, we appreciate you doing it out of a car. I think fans certainly know your dedication. Uh, you know, Sam probably puts out more content than anyone else on the beat. Obviously the blazing musket puts out more content than anyone else. Um, so make sure you definitely subscribe. I personally, like I'm not on Twitter mostly, so it's really great to get that email directly into my inbox from the blazing musket. Every time Sam posts, cause I am probably one of the first ones to read it every time, Sam. Oh, Tanner. Thank you. Uh, make sure you also check out the podcast on Twitter. Uh, Greg does a great job at revolution recap. I barely tweet. Uh, on the account also make sure you find us on facebook and on instagram please rate us and review us on itunes spotify or wherever you're listening to this podcast and if you aren't listening on itunes or spotify let us know on twitter or you know shoot us a note on where you are listening because i'd certainly be curious thanks again for listening we'll be back after the next game with another great podcast when everyone is on the same page getting things done at work is easy no matter what you do or what industry you're in how you communicate is key 
Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.